0: Uh, This week, we're actually starting a brand new sermon series, and this is something I've been working on for a while and we've been looking to for a while, and uh, it's called The Way, and you may have heard Jesus say that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, What we're going to do over uh, the next many weeks is we're going to be, we're going to start in Luke chapter 9, and we're going to go through something called the travel narrative where Jesus, uh, Jesus begins his journey from the area around the Sea of Galilee, where he did most of his his ministry, where he spent most of his working life. And he begins to make this three to five day walk down through the the land of Samaria, down through the Jordan River Valley, and into Jerusalem for his eventual crucifixion. So what we're going to do is mark these final days. We're gonna take the walk with Jesus. We're gonna start kind of our own journey and trace his steps. And the reason we're doing this is, is many fold, one of which is Jesus walks through Samaria, which is hostile country. The Jews and the Samaritans were known enemies. They didn't really care much for each other. And so he walks his final leg of the journey through really hostile territory. And I don't know if you felt this, but there are times in our modern kind of postmodern America that, that being a Christian or holding Christian values or living out Christian faith, you can feel like you live in hostile territory. And so we're going to um, not only watch as Jesus does it, but we're going to maybe learn from him how do we walk through this land of ours? How do we walk through our own modern Samaria? The other thing we're gonna be doing as we start this journey and we start practicing the way together is we're going to be celebrating because um, next year, 2021, is Covenant Church's 50th anniversary. That's a big deal. 50 years of life and ministry and, and mission-centered, gospel-centered, uh, loving grace for this community. We're gonna celebrate. And uh, so we're going to do so by looking at the ways to both uh, commemorate and celebrate what's been done. How did we get here? And we're going to look forward and figure out what does it look like to continue as maybe the world around us gets more hostile. What does it mean to walk like Jesus through it? So uh, that's what we're going to be doing. If you have one of these uh, little ribbons in your Bible, if you have the fancy ribbon in your Bible, you could put it in Luke chapter 9. And you could probably leave it there for a hot minute. And we're just going to slowly move that thing over one page at a time. And I think it's going to be this rich journey uh, through the final days of Jesus. So um, as we do that, we're going to start in Luke chapter 9, verse 1. And we're just going to read it together. Scripture says, he called Jesus. Jesus called the 12 together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag. Nor bread nor money, and do not have two tunics. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there you should depart. Wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And so they departed and they went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So we're still in Galilee. We're starting this journey with Jesus, this three- to five-day walk from Galilee down to Jerusalem, and we're still there. This is before that walk has begun. So Jesus hasn't yet begun the journey to the cross in earnest, and he gives his disciples this funny set of instructions. He says, go and preach and heal. Go, go minister to the people, but don't take anything with you. It's like if you walked into your Kids, your grandkids, if you walked into your spouse, you walked into your friends, you say, hey, let's go on a vacation. Okay, where are we going? doesn't matter. What, what do I pack? Don't. It'll be more fun this way. And the disciples have to be wondering, what is he getting at? Don't take a staff to walk with or protect you. Don't take a bag for extra belongings. Don't take any bread for sustenance along the way. Don't take money to get what's needed. Don't even take a change of clothes. Take nothing. Preach. Heal. Result of which they went, and it says they went through preaching and healing everywhere they went. And they must be thinking, because the disciples know what they're signed up for. They, remember, they've signed up as students of the rabbi, and the rabbi is always teaching. He's always creating these little spots for a lesson. And so they have to be wondering, what is Jesus getting at here? What's his aim? He's setting up a lesson for us. What's the point of taking nothing and doing what he asks us to do? He's setting up this on-the-job training. So we keep reading Luke chapter 9, verse 10. It says, on their return, the apostles told him what they had done. And he took them and he withdrew apart to a city called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them and he spoke to them of the kingdom of God and he cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away. What a beautiful phrase. The day began to wear away and the 12 came to him and they said, Send the crowd away to go into the villages and the country round about to lodge and get provisions, for we are here in a lonely place. But Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than these five loaves and two fish, unless we're to go buy food for all of them. But for there were 5,000 people there. Jesus said to his disciples, make them sit down in companies of about 50 each. And they did so. And he made them all sit down and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he blessed and he broke them and he gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd and all ate and were satisfied and they took up what was left over and there was 12 baskets of broken pieces. It's a really familiar passage. Jesus does this miracle to heal the many. The the disciples, they go and they heal and they preach and they come back in this triumphant return and they say, Jesus, look what we did. We didn't take anything with us. We did what you said. Isn't this cool? And he goes, Yeah, that's pretty cool. Come with me. And he takes him to this little village, Bethsaida. It's in this, it's a little map dot, really, in the Jordan River Valley. I'm going to put up a topographic map so you can get a sense for what I'm saying. There, there's this at the very tip, at the very kind of top where it says Caperna, and up into and the right, you see Bethsaida there? And it's on this kind of tributary-looking thing that comes into the sea, and and it's just a map dot. Capernaum, where Jesus did much of his ministry, was 1,500 people. Bethsaida was maybe several dozen. It's a hamlet. Jesus says, come with me over there. So they go to this little place out in the middle of nowhere, and if you'll notice when we look at the map, I'm going to bring it back up, it's this natural amphitheater. And so you see it It's surrounded by these hills, the Sea of Galilee is. And what you come to realize is is the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. And all of these hills present sort of, it's a bowl in a sense. It's a natural amphitheater. And so anywhere you are on the shore of the Sea of of Galilee, you can look up the hillside and you could put thousands of people there. And so that's the, the place and the setting that we're at. And so Jesus is sitting, he goes to Bethsaida, this little tiny map dot, and it says the crowds follow him. So there we are in this natural amphitheater in this beautiful place. And the people gathered to hear him speak, and then the scripture says, the day began to wear away. You ever look up, you're busy doing something, and you look up and it's dark, and it sort of catches you by surprise. Oh, I didn't know what time it was, I guess it's it's getting dark. The sun in March in this area would set around 5.30, 6 o'clock. But that doesn't take into account that if you're in the bottom of the bowl, if you've ever been in the mountains and you're like, the sun sets at 4.15, well, it didn't set. You're just in a space where you can't see it because the mountains are providing a shadow. And so I have to think the disciples are excited of what they've just done. They're here with Jesus. They're doing this ministry. They're preaching. They're healing. Jesus is doing the same. There's thousands gathered, and they kind of look up and they go, whoa, whoa. Jesus, it's getting dark. And we're at this map dot. There's nowhere for people to go. We can't feed them if we wanted to. And so they begin to grow concerned, and as the shadows around them grow, it seems their options are shrinking. Capernaum is a good walk away, hours. It's a village of fifteen hundred or so. So even if the five thousand went there, there's there's no guarantee they all find lodging and provisions. Tiberias, the larger city, kind of the provincial capital of this area, that was that was basically forever. And so, what are you supposed to do with all of these people in this small town? How do I get them fed? And so the disciples look at Jesus, and what they're saying as we read it, they're saying, Jesus, you either have to stop teaching and stop healing, or we have to make some whole other plan because we can't feed these people, and it's getting late, and this isn't like a campsite. The reality is that practical problems fade away in the shadow of God's power. Our practical problems fade away in the shadow of God's power. And so the disciples see the oncoming shadows, and they think we have a problem in God looks at us and goes, no, no, your problems fade away in the shadow of my power. Watch. Jesus says, you feed them. You feed them. They said, well, we have no, no bread to give them. And it begins to sound kind of familiar. We, we don't have any bread. We don't have money to buy it, them anything if we could. We don't have a staff or, or rod to protect us should they riot since we don't have anything for them. We don't even have a change of clothes. Jesus, remember, you sent us with nothing. You sent us out into the world with nothing. You told us to preach and heal. And here you are saying we have to feed. You sent us with nothing. Now you want us to give them everything. I have to imagine that Jesus sighs in this moment. You guys didn't get the lesson. So he tells them, organize the people in the way I'm describing. He gives them an administrative task. Just organize the people. Collect what we have. Watch rabbi is always teaching the rabbi is always working the rabbi is always setting up a lesson so he blesses the food and he asks the disciples to use their hands to give it away and then we watch together we watch as it multiplies we watch as all were satisfied we watch as five loaves and two fish feed the thousands the hands of the disciples do the work it's ordinary work They're handing out bread and fish. His power makes it possible. His power makes it miraculous. They're about to start walking to the crucifixion. And Jesus is is giving final lessons. And it's important for us to see this because Jesus is preparing his disciples for what to do when he's not with them. He's got days left on earth. And he's training them up in the way that they have to then move about the world. And the lesson here becomes clear. We are to walk on our feet, but we are to do so in his power. Our job is the the left remnant, as the disciples left behind, as Jesus is resurrected, our job is to walk with our feet, but to do so in his power. It's almost as if he had to strip everything away so they could see that. Otherwise, they would have thought they were clever and figured out how to feed people. You have to strip everything away sometimes. You ever been in that position where, where you had to have everything stripped out of your life to, in order to see God and experience God's power? You ever plant a tree? I have a problem planting trees. My wife is is here previewing with you. She will nod that I have a problem. I cannot stop planting trees. I bought a sequoia tree. You know, the big giant sequoia. I bought a sequoia tree. I bought it on Amazon. It was six dollars. They sent it to me in a tiny package. It was as big as my index finger. Planted it. It's absolutely double that size now. I bought a sugar maple and a red maple from some other website. They showed up as sticks. Like 12-inch-long sticks, and they had some gel on the bottom where the roots should have been. And it just looked like they sent me a stick. They said, plant the gel side down, see what happens. And we have a 15-foot little maple forest growing in our backyard. I bought a Black Hills spruce this year. A couple cherry trees are growing up. I love to plant trees. Maybe you bake. and maybe you've used quarantine and COVID. There's been a bread-making explosion the people were like, I guess I'll bake my own bread. i got nothing but time. i got a sourdough fermenting in the fridge right now. All you do is you add water and flour and then the bacteria do all this work. I plant the tree, but really, processes beyond me cause it to grow. I've, I can water it, I can put it in the right spot, but I can't make it grow. I can mix this bacteria with this flour and this water. I, I can put it in the oven with heat. I can provide the the elements, but I can't make it rise. I can't make it do what it's going to do. It doesn't. We take for granted because we use our hands in so many ways. We're so self-sufficient in so many things that we take for granted that really, if we stop and think about it, everything that is happening around us is God's hand at work. I cannot tell you how many times someone has come up to me after a Sunday sermon and said, you, you did this thing. You unlocked this thing from You were preaching just at me. My life is forever changed. All these these fantastical things that people have said, and I know I feel sheepish at the moment. I didn't do anything. People say, I'm ready to follow Jesus because of what you said today, and I go, oh. And I'm thrilled, but inwardly very confused, which is maybe how the disciples felt in that moment to say, these incredible things are happening, but I'm not totally sure. I can't put together what I did and what God's doing in you, because I said some very normal words And you've had this really supernatural transformation. I planted a stick in the ground with some gel at the bottom, and it's a 15 foot beautiful maple tree this summer. And I I can try to figure it out, and I can science and math my way there, but at the end of the day, I go, Look, I I stuck a thing in the ground, and I put some water on it, and look at it. And I think maybe it starts to dawn on the disciples in this moment as they fed the 5,000 as the darkness of the night has really taken over in this bowl, this depression around the sea, that their eyes start to meet each other's eyes in astonishment, that the disciples, they start to get it. And they look at each other and they go, do you think that our preaching and our healing back there, do you think that was just him working through us? Do you think like maybe it was his power all along? That's why Paul later writes, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Or Jesus himself said, with God, all things are possible. Not all things are possible, but with God, all things are possible. So we ask these kind of existential questions as we call ourselves followers of Jesus that are living out his mission to know him and make him known to our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers. We say, how does this work? How do I reach my neighbor? How do I show love to a hardened heart? How do I introduce Jesus to a world that is increasingly hostile to his teaching? And the formula that Jesus seems to lay out for his followers who we are, it's our hands plus his power equals transform lives. And it seems too simple. I put the stick in the ground and now it's 20 feet tall. My hands plus his power equals transform lives. So the question becomes, what do I do with this? Is this another one of those leave everything and preach sermons? You get tired of those? I get tired of those. So I'm not supposed to take money with me and I got to sell all my stuff and then preach? Is that what you're telling me to do? Nope. Do I have to learn how to heal people? You know, like we, are, we need to do some actual healing in the place. Is that how we know we're doing it right? Hmm? That'd be great. I got no problem with that. But no, I don't think that's it. Proverbs 1, 20 and 21 says, Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the markets, she raises her voice. And on top of the walls, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. This is a beautiful proverb. What it's saying is that the wisdom, the beauty, the grace, the love of God is apparent in all places. It cries out in the marketplace and in offices and on Zoom calls and in school and in, in every single trial we find ourselves. That's where wisdom cries out. That's where grace is found. That's where love is displayed. When we are willing witnesses, lives change. And God doesn't need our help. It's plain to see he doesn't need our help. But he chooses to use us in this brilliant privilege that he gives us as his followers. That Watch, I'll use you guys. And just to show you that it's not you, it's me. Don't take money. Don't take a staff. Don't take clothes. Just go and watch what happens. I'll use you. And because our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers are asking right now, they're saying, what is truth? In a post-truth world, who do I trust? With so much noise, who am I supposed to listen to? In the era of fake news and self-interest, what do I really believe? And if we find ourselves getting any other answer than Jesus... We have to take a step back and figure out what it is we really believe. Every answer to every one of those questions is it's Jesus. The truth is in Jesus, that, that who we're supposed to listen to is Jesus, that, that how are we supposed to be working through this life? It's, it's the life of Jesus. And your life is the answer. Your life points to the answer of Jesus. Your simple acts of beauty and grace, you don't need to preach. You don't need to stand up on the soapbox. You have to live. We have to practice the faith in Jesus that we claim so that others will go, oh, even in trial, even in the midst of chaos, even in COVID, this Jesus thing, as out of control as everything seems, remember that God has it all in his hands. And sometimes he even involves us in how he's going to work it out. We don't need to work it out. I don't need to solve global pandemic. I don't need to solve debates raging in our streets. I don't need to figure out these problems. I simply need to work out my faith with fear and trembling. I need to live out my faith that, that has been given to me as this beautiful gift. I have to do that first. I have to live out what I say I believe and then watch as God uses it to transform individuals one at a time. Tim Keller says, if you understand the gospel and you live consistently with it, it cannot stay in your private world. If you understand the gospel, if the gospel's really in you. You cannot keep it private. Because it begins to soak through every aspect of our lives. It can't stay contained in worship services. It doesn't stay on Sunday morning. Once the gospel gets inside of you, it affects every single area of your life, including and especially your public life. And so, by God's design and God's power, just like the disciples, we use our gifts in God's power, and it becomes that now is the time to activate. Now is the time to activate in our neighborhoods. Now is the time to activate with those around us that are hurting. What better time to have the answer when the world is in shambles seemingly asking every question? This is a time of expectancy and miracles. And we don't say that very often because we're afraid if it doesn't happen, we'll be found to be faithless. This is the time that we have to, as a people, have expectancy in the miracles and the working of God to transform lives. That people are more open to truth than they ever have been. People are more open to hope than they ever have been. People are more open to what it is that will set them free from the prison that they find themselves living in, no matter what that is. People are welcoming the return of anything that will vanquish their idols because all of our idols have fallen away because none of them have saved us through this last season. And so if the economy goes into a deeper tailspin, is that economic oppression? Yep. Is it an incredible opportunity? Absolutely. Because that's when the church shows up. If your neighbor loses their job, guess what? we're there to catch them. If your neighbor gets sick, we're there to care. If your neighbor is too afraid to go out, we're there to show up and bring to them life and hope and grace. God is able to do miraculous works through the hands of ordinary men and women. And through ordinary acts, he transforms Eternities, And every single one of us can drive back through our own personal story of transformation, our own story of when God invaded our lives, and we can see all of the ordinary little acts along the way that brought us here. The simple invitation, the small act of grace, the generosity we didn't expect, all those tiny things where we go, huh, that confirmed what I already knew. There's something bigger out there. So what can you do? How can you reach out? becomes the question. How do I reach out in an era where I'm not supposed to go out? How do I reach out from behind a mask or a, a plate glass window? How do I reach out in an era where we're not supposed to really uh, social distance? I can't touch somebody. That's our challenge for today. Is to start by doing something ordinary. To be intentional in your neighborhood. How? Do you bake? Do you fix cars? Do you mow your lawn? What if you mowed your neighbor's lawn? What if you baked? Put a little note on top that says, here for you if you need me, we're in this with you. What if you offered your next oil change for your neighbor? I have fixed cars, I could do that for you. And that gives you a 45-minute window to have a discussion and, and learn more about them. What are the simple things that we can do that begin to make a difference, the simple things we do that can begin to open doors, the simple ordinary things that we can do that begin to invite ourselves into somebody's journey of faith. I might be delivering bread soon, whatever it is. Our job in this season, as we relaunch in-person services, it seems like no better time than to say, if we're willing to be here, then we have to be willing to be out there. So, whatever it is that God has enabled us to do, whatever He's gifted you with, just get started at doing it. Are you great with flowers? Drop some flowers off. Friends, we fail to start mostly because we can't see the finish. We can't connect how a simple act of grace today becomes a life radically transformed by the power of God. We can't see the end, and so we don't ever start at the beginning. Because who starts? You know, we built some desks for my kids, they're going to be learning at home online. How do you build these desks? Well, they gave me instructions, and I know I can see step one and step 12, and I know it's going to finish. So I start confidently. If they'd only given me step one, I don't know that I'd have started. But that's what faith is. That God requires for us to have faith to walk through that journey of going, I'm going to give you page one, and if you do that really well, watch what I'm going to do. And page two shows up, and then page three shows up. And as we begin to walk with others, we see the beauty of God show up in their lives. We can't see how five loaves feed 5,000 people, and so we don't ever start. But the beauty is we don't have to. We get to live in the power of God. So we divide the fish and the bread, and God makes the miracle. If there's a lesson to be learned, as Jesus gives this to his followers, at the end of this ministry, as they begin their journey in our next, next week, we're going to start that walking journey The lesson he gives them is we divide the bread and the fish and he makes the miracle. And as he does that, the world has changed. And so what does it mean for you to tear the bread and the fish in your life and to watch what God does with your faithfulness? This week we'll be asking you via email and Facebook, we're going to ask you for your best ideas. How do you reach your neighbor? What does it look like to reach your neighbor? Not how do we donate to a great cause, not what can we buy them What can you do that is personal and intimate to reach your neighbor? How do you serve someone in simplicity? Nothing complicated. And then what we'll do is compile all of that together, and we'll make a big list, and we'll send it out. And so things you haven't thought of, you'll now have in your back pocket. As you think of reaching your neighbor, as you think of reaching your street, as you think of activating, as we walk through Samaria together, we're going to begin to act it out immediately. And we're not waiting for the end because we know how it ends, that Jesus wins that victory is ours, and that we could begin to live in it today. And so we take our simple loaves, and we take our simple gifts, and we take the little things we know how to do, and we say, God, I'm going to start tearing bread. Show yourself. and Show your power. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good and gracious. You give us hope where uh, hope is in short supply. You give us You give us joy when we awake in sorrow. Father, you give us salvation when uh, we arrive in sin. So, Father, as we take this journey, as we uncover the way in front of us, the way that Jesus has left us, uh, my prayer is that we would not hesitate to begin. Lord, that every heart and mind, every person, whether in this room or somewhere on their couch in cyberspace, Father, I pray that every single heart would be touched with uh, the conviction that doing nothing is not enough and doing something is all we have to do. Lord, would you alight in our hearts and, and illuminate in our minds what that small step could be, what that neighbor is that we need to reach, the coworker, the friend, the relative, whoever it is that you've put one person in our lives and one person in our hearts, what's the first step? Not the saving step, Father. Give us that first step. Give us the words More importantly, give us the courage. And as we take that step, Lord, will you show your power? Will you give us page two and three as we go and find us walking in faith? Father, thank you for the gift of faith through Jesus. Thank you for Jesus and the salvation we know. God, thank you for his work on the cross, his resurrection, and what it means about how we walk through the world. God, we love you we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.